Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Be seated. Today I want to label my sermon title with these words, The Qualifications of a Pastor. The Qualifications of a Pastor. I would like to step aside for just a few moments and pretend like I'm not your pastor and pretend that I'm just a preacher coming in and preaching a sermon to you this morning about the simple, basic qualifications of a pastor. And with that in mind, I want to share with you that pastors are on the front lines of battle. Have you ever done battle before? Some of you have been in the military before. Well, I've never been in the military, but I've done battle with some bugs before. We were staying in the crazy house when we were cycling across Virginia. And I'm telling you one thing. I walked in there and there were bees. There were spiders. It's a miracle I stayed the night in that house. I got some bug spray and I found my bed. And I caked bug spray from, I made a giant rectangle around that bed and along the wall so that the bugs wouldn't crawl down and get on me. Yeah, just recently I was at a friend's house hanging out on their back porch and a spider came down and, and, and was about ready to get on me. I took my sandals off and I tried to snap it, like, you know, kill it like that. And I thought I got it and, it, and, and I didn't get it. And I was sitting on the back, back porch of the chair and uh, I felt something on my leg. And so I swiped that thing off, turned my light on my phone, and I just went to war and stomped that spider. <laughs> I don't play with spiders, and I sure hope you don't either. But I say all that to say this, that just as we go to war with bugs, and as a man in the military or a woman in the military would go to war and war, pastors are the ones who are at the front lines of battle. They are the ones that, that are leading the way. They are leading the example and I submit to you today that we have a nation full of pastors who are not leading in a way that God has called them to lead. Today, I just want to share with you this passage of Scripture. You say, well, what in the world does the qualifications of a pastor have to do with my life? Well, it has everything to do with your life. First of all, as a church member, it's, it's your responsibility, if I were to kick the bucket, to be able to go through the Word of God and discover the specific requirements and qualifications for a man like me to stand in this position and preach to you and to shepherd this flock. And then maybe you're here this evening and you're a man who, maybe you're a young man, maybe you're an, an older man, maybe you're a middle-aged man and you, you feel God's calling on your life to go into the ministry. Well, this passage is for you. I submit to you being a pastor is not about age, it's about stage. God can call anybody at any time. If God used young Josiah as an eight-year-old to lead the people of Israel in the Old Testament, God can call whoever He desires to call to be in this position here. This office of a pastor is the highest calling on this earth. I submit to you it is higher than being the President of the United States. It is higher than, than being a CEO of any country or corporation. It is higher than anything else you can ever imagine. There's some passages of scripture about being a pastor opposed to this section. You go to Tim, Titus chapter 1, you find the parallel passage of this. And Tim, excuse me, Paul's writing to Titus, sharing with him the similar qualifications that is being revealed here in this ch chapter. 
And by the way, there's 15 qualifications in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy and 15 qualifications in Titus chapter 1, some different than others, but 15 of them there. In Acts chapter number 20, we find that, that God says in this passage that these men are the ones who are overseeing and leading the congregation to follow after God and follow after Christ. We find in Hebrews chapter 13 that those in this position of a pastor are the ones who, who are going to stand before God and be held accountable for how he shepherded this flock or any flock and how he preached the word of God and how he handled this office. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we find that it gives the idea of a shepherd tending to his sheep you see, some people get the idea that being a pastor is just a Sunday morning, a Sunday evening, and a Wednesday evening thing. And in the modern church, they just preach once a week on Sunday morning. So it's just a one hour a week thing. But it's not like that. See, being a pastor is a 24-7 duty. It is a responsibility that, that far outweighs anything else in this life that I have experienced. Tireless hours, sleepless nights, going to God in prayer, beseeching heaven to come down in the hearts and minds of the people in the congregation. Now, with that in mind, I want to share with you an applicable truth that all of us can take away. Every Christian is called to live their life above reproach. Every Christian is called to live their life above reproach. I also like to say it like this. Live your life in such a way that others have no doubts you're a Christian. Wouldn't it be great today that if we had congregations full of pastors and deacons and church members who lived their lives in such a manner that everybody analyzing them can clearly tell that they are a Christian. I like what John MacArthur said about the responsibilities of the overseer. That's what the word bishop means, an overseer. By the way, the word pastor and elder in the Bible is a synonymous word. They mean the same thing. Bishop, pastor, elder, and a few others, shepherd in the, in the New Testament. But John MacArthur says this, They are to rule, that means to oversee. They are to preach and teach, to pray for the sick, to care for the church, to be examples for others to follow, to set church policy, and to ordain other elders. With all that in mind, Today, I want to share with you the three qualifications for pastors. And at the end, I want to give you three applicable truths that's very similar that we all can take away. Thought number one comes from verses one through three. Pastors are called to be men of moral integrity. The second thought I want to share with you today is from the same passage. And I wrote down secondly, pastors are called to be men of spiritual maturity. And then I wrote down this, pastors are called to be men who lead their family. Will you come with me as we travel through this passage? But before we do, I want to share with you that, that we live in an age where moral failure, spiritual failure, financial failure is everywhere and abounds not only within the pews of the church, but also the pulpits of the church. And it is time, my dear friends, that we live our lives above reproach so that others can see Christ living in us. Look at verses 1 through 3 this morning. I want to share with you, first of all today, pastors are called to be men of moral integrity. Men of moral integrity. The Bible says here in verse number 1, this is a true saying, if a man 
desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. There's three words I want you to focus on. Underline the word man. Say man with me on three. One, two, three. Man. Then underline in, uh, the word office. Say office with me on three. One, two, three. Office. And then the word bishop. Say bishop with me on three. One, two, three. Bishop. So you got man, you got office, and you got Bishop, sometimes when, when you're studying the Bible, sometimes when you're studying the original language in the New Testament, when the Bible says man, it's referring to mankind. And then sometimes when the Bible says man, it's referring to a man like me or some of the other men here in the church. And, and when the Bible is describing the office, that is the position of a pastor, it's referring to men. Not mankind, but men. Now I know that does not set well in modern society, but... Listen, I submit to you, it is the Word of God. And I'm not saying today that a lady does not have leadership capabilities. I'm not saying that a lady cannot know the Word of God from cover to cover. And I'm not saying a lady can't present the Word of God in a better way than me. Because listen, there's, I, there's plenty of ladies who have a better order ability than me and many of the other men here today. But as far as the office right here, God has set it up for men and men only. The Bible says here, man and then office and a bishop. Sometimes in our society today, they get the idea that a bishop is somebody who oversees a region or a denominational region. But a bishop is just simply somebody who's overseeing the local assembly like this one here today. Look at verse number two. The Bible says, a bishop then must be blameless. Say blameless with me on three. One, two, three. Blameless. This word literally means living a life above reproach. If there's anybody in the church who should be living their life in a way that's above reproach, it's the pastor. It's the one leading the flock. But I submit to you today that if you go digging into my life, you're going to find some dirt. And if, you, and if I go digging in your life, I'm going to find some dirt. If we go digging deep enough, we're going to find not just dirt, but some mud. We're going to find some cobwebs and some dust all over. So today I submit to you that a pastor does not have to be sinless because a pastor cannot be. The, the word blameless here, as I read this word, I, I'm reminded of the only one who was ever fully blameless, and that was Jesus Christ. You know his life. Jesus was the blameless, spotless Lamb of God who died on Calvary's cross so that we could have eternal life. And he defeated death by rising again. And now we can live a blameless life through him and his power and in his word. Not just pastors, not just men, but also ladies. I like what, what one commentator said about this word blameless. They said, a life without blame is the overarching requirement for leadership in the church. I submit to you the next 14 qualifications of a pastor stem off of the word blameless. Blameless. A life above reproach. How's your life today? If somebody were to zoom in and focus on your life, ladies and gentlemen, would they be able to say that your life is above reproach? Or would they say that your life is full of blame? You see, this word blameless, it also gives the idea that if I were to be arrested and the police were to come knocking on my door and then take me to the courthouse and I were to stand before the judge and he were to look at the evidence and he could say, this man is guilty or innocent. The word blameless gives the idea of somebody who is innocent. And the only true innocent one that's ever lived this earth is Jesus Christ. The Bible moves on to one of the most debated, discussed, and argued phrases about a pastor found in verse number two. It says, the husband of one wife. 
I want you to understand today that this phrase, the husband of one wife, does not regard the marital status. This phrase, there's a couple ideas. I want to share with you a few ideas of what commentators believe this, past, this, this phrase means. Some say that the pastor can not be divorced from this, these phrase, this phrase. Some say the pastor cannot practice polygamy. And if you don't know what polygamy is, it means that you got more than one wife. And God set it up one man, one woman for life back in the book of Genesis. Then some people say that the pastor cannot be single. And in this phrase, it's not referring to somebody who's been divorced. It's not referring to somebody who's been practicing polygamy. And it's not referring to somebody who's being single. It's not referring to the marital status. It's referring to a one-woman man. You can go study it for yourself. But here is what somebody said. One-woman man is a man who is devoted in his heart and mind to the woman who is his wife. There's been plenty of men throughout the library of time who've been married for, for gobs amount of years. But they were not fully devoted to their spouse. There's been many of women in the same way. And then there's been many men who's been married multiple times and ladies multiple times who have not been faithful to their spouse. But here, all this phrase is referring to is not the marital status, but the fact that the man who is either married or single is faithful to his wife or faithful as being a single man. This phrase is right after the word blameless. So our church takes a standard. We've set a high standard here about the office of a pastor and the office of a deacon. So our church takes a standard that if somebody's going to be a pastor or a deacon of our church, they cannot be divorced. And there's nothing wrong with setting that standard. But I want you to understand it is a standard and it is not divine scripture. You see, this, this phrase does not mention remarriage. It does not mention divorce. And it does not mention polygamy. It just means a one-woman man. So if you're here today and you maybe feel the calling of God in your life, whether you're single, whether you're married, you need to be committed in your singleness if you're single until God provides that right person in your life, or you need to be committed, devoted to your wife. The Bible goes on to say, vigilant and sober. I want to combine these two because they both mean the same thing. A serious state of mind. If anybody should live a life seriously, it is a pastor. Now, that does not, does not mean that the pastor can't have fun. <laughs> I enjoy to try to have fun as much as I can. But, but what it means is that they take life seriously. And they understand a soberness to life. That they don't want to live reckless. They don't want to live careless. But they live in a way that pleases God so much that they're serious from their actions to their words to what's going on in their thought life and mind. It goes on to say, of good behavior. Pastors are called to be men of moral integrity. They're called to be faithful in the way they behave. I like to say it like this. Our beliefs about the Savior will reflect our behavior. So what we believe about Jesus Christ is revealed in the way in which we live. Look at verse number three. 
We'll skip these uh, couple words and come back to them in a few moments. But then it goes on to say, not given to wine. Now, remember, in verse number two, it said vigilant and sober, which they both mean the same thing. And then here it says not given to wine. This literally means somebody who is not addicted and alcohol is not a problem in their life. If there's anybody who should be free from abusing alcohol or substances of drugs, it's the pastor leading the congregation. Now, I'll have to preach a message on alcohol later on, but, but I'm here to tell you something, that, that a child of God has no business partaking in any type of abusing substances or alcohol abuse. You see, if we are going to live our life above reproach and somebody who's lost, let, imagine, imagine just for a few moments, if you saw me at Walmart and I was carrying a 12-pack of Bud Light, what would you think about me? I'll tell you one thing, the next business meeting, I'd be gone. <laughs> now imagine in life when somebody might see you go to the store and buy a 12-pack of Bud Light or one of the other kinds of alcohol. How is that going to reflect on your testimony and your relationship with Jesus Christ? It's going to be a big hindrance. Did you know that, that the Bible says more against alcohol than crack cocaine marijuana, and even tobacco products. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, we find that the Bible thunders down against alcohol. And it is the worst drug that anybody could ever partake in. And that's why the Bible says here that, in fact, they understood in this day, in Paul's day, that this, this was a serious matter and that if anybody in the church should lead the example, it's the one in the office of a pastor. The Bible goes on to say no striker. Unless we're talking about spiders, I shouldn't be, or any other pastor shouldn't be, throwing fists and punching each other out. <laughs> Here's one that, that, that gets a lot of pastors, for sure. And also, it also mentions not a brawler. These striker and brawler are very synonymous phrases and words to somebody who's not going around picking fights and trying to stir up trouble and just do damage. Then it goes on to say, not greedy of filthy lucre. Greed is something we all have to battle. It's not just with money, but it's with everything. We get something, we got to have more. But this phrase, greedy of filthy lucre, it gives the idea of me doing something like this. This is an example. Let's say I call for a special love offering that we're going to send money to uh, a children's home in Peru, like we've done in the time past. And I say from the pulpit that we're going to donate 100% of what's given. And let's say we gave $5,000 as a body. And I went down and I took, let's say I took 3000 of that and I put it in my own pocket. And we sent 2000 to the children's home. That is what filthy lucre is referring to. It is sordid gain. Taking something and twisting and, and manipulating people to benefit from it. And, and today, church, we, I'm glad we have a certain standard here. And I'll be up front with you. I do not know what any of you give. The only person that I know who gives the amount of money that they give is me personally. I have no idea what you give. I have no idea if you give. But I know that you are called by God and commanded by God to give. At least 10%. All of you. Every one of us. But we, as a body of believers have to set up guardrails and standards. And that's one that I'm thankful this church holds to because I don't have any business knowing what you are giving to the Lord. 
And it is to free me or anybody like me from the temptation and abusing the finances of this church. So with all that in mind, pastors are called to be men of moral integrity. But now I want to share with you secondly, remember, live your life in such a way that others have no doubt you're a Christian. Every Christian is called to live their life above reproach. These are the qualifications of a pastor. Number one, as we summarize all those that we just did, is this, pastors are called to be men of moral integrity. Now I want to share with you secondly, pastors are called to be men of spiritual maturity. Pastors are called to be men of spiritual maturity. This does not mean they have to be a Bible scholar. It doesn't mean that they have to be a theologian. It doesn't have to mean all of that. But what it does mean is that in their walk with God, they need to be mature. Now, I submit to you today that every Christian ought to be spiritually mature. But we have a generation of children of God who are not even as mature in their spiritual life as a kindergartner in grade school. And we need men and women alike who take their spiritual life seriously and become more mature in their faith. I want to draw your attention to a couple words. Look at verse number two. It says, given to hospitality. Say hospitality with me on three. One, two, three. Hospitality. Somebody who is hospitable is somebody who welcomes others into their home and blesses them with fried chicken and watermelon. <laughs> yes. So if you really want to get right with God, you're going to invite me to your house and give me fried chicken and watermelon. <laughs> Just kidding. Hospitality means you open up your arms and your house and you bring people in and you bless them. You understand here that, that this day and time, they didn't have Holiday Inn Express. They didn't have Sleep In. They didn't have all the Marriott's. They didn't have all the luxuries that we have today. And so when missionaries or preachers were traveling through and ministering, others would host them in their house. And that's all what the word hospitable means. That is, if somebody's going to be a pastor, they need to be hospitable and welcome people into their home. It goes on to say here, apt to teach. This is probably one of the most important aspects of being a pastor. Yes, it's important to shepherd the flock, to visit, to pray, to minister to. But I believe the greatest amount of discipleship is done during the service time. And that's why we have multiple services a week. And that's why we encourage everybody to be involved in all of them. There may be a message that's preached that you missed out on the service because you were at home watching Netflix or some football game when you should have been in church, that God could have revolutionized your life, but you missed it. And here it says apt to teach. This means that they are always ready to teach and that they have a gift of teaching. It doesn't mean they have to be like a, a great charismatic speaker or something like that. But what it does mean is that they have been called by God to teach and preach the word of God and that they are going to do their diligence in studying God's word. That's what the Bible says. In fact, in 2 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy in the second letter. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If anybody's going to do that, it is a guy like me speaking to folks like you. You see... You can always tell, listen, you can tell when somebody who stands up and just open up the Bible and just start speaking off the cuff. You can tell. I'm not saying you need to spend 40 hours a week studying the Word of God. In fact, when I was in seminary and, and in Bible college, my seminary professor looked at us and said, for every sermon you preach, you need to prepare 20 hours. And I said, are you serious? 20 hours per sermon? That's 60 hours a week for me, at least. Because I preach at least three times a week. 
I thought to myself, yeah, you modern preachers only preach one time. You could devote 20 hours to all your sermons or just one sermon. But all I'm saying is this, is that when somebody stands before a congregation, whether they're teaching a Sunday school class or, or little children, you don't do it just off the cuff. You study. And sometimes you can preach and teach out of the overflow, out of studying for a long period of time. And because you've spent time in the study of the, the saddle of the study, you can just go from what you've already studied. But here, not only is he a man who studies, who is studious in the Word of God, but he's also one who develops the way to deliver a sermon. Studying the Word of God is a craft in of itself, but then delivering the message to the people in a way that they can understand is another craft of in itself. Imagine taking a complex truth like the immutability of Almighty God and teaching that into a way that a little child can understand that, hey, all that means is that God cannot change. You see, a, a man who is leading a congregation, they may, sure, they may be very intelligent, but if you're speaking in a way that only you understand or nobody else understands, what's the point of even speaking? So here, apt to teach means that, yes, you study, but then you also bring the jelly down to the bottom shelf so everybody can reach it. And sometimes you have to take it to a shelf that's not even on the bookshelf. Uh, but then the other factor plays the fact that you have to be able to present truth in a way that a new Christian can understand. But then you have to go deep enough to where somebody who's a seasoned child of God can receive some meat. So that's the importance of studying God's word as a pastor. It goes on to say in verse number three, patient. Patience, as they say, is a virtue, and people say don't pray for patience because God's going to give it to you. <laughs> but it's a quality and a characteristic of a pastor, and I believe it should be a quality and characteristic of every Christian. We patiently are to wait on the second coming of Christ. And because of that factor, we should all have the attribute of patience. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit, one of them says patience. We are called to be men and women of patience, but especially the man leading the congregation. And I'm going to tell you something. I've learned to be patient with some of you fine folks. God bless you. And I will pray for you. And I'm sure you have learned to be patient with me. So God bless you too. And may God bless me. But the Bible goes on to say not only patient, but not covetous. The last one in verse 3. The word coveting, it just simply means a lustful desire for what everybody else has and you want it yourself. Obviously, the Bible says thou shalt not covet. Obviously, the Bible says that we are to be content with everything that we have. So if anybody should be full of contentment, it's the man who's leading the congregation. So may God help me to, to be that. Verse number six. Remember, we're talking about spiritual maturity here. A novice is a new convert who thinks they know everything about the Bible. And I will be honest with you. When I was 18 or 19, I read through the Bible a couple times. I... I you know, I was in Bible college, and listen, I thought I knew everything about the Bible. I graduated from Crown College, and listen, I thought I was the next Dr. Elmer Towns or some other theologian. <laughs> and needless to say, the more I began to study God's Word, the more I realized, man, Brian, you really don't know as much as you thought you did. In fact, John 3.16 can be pretty complex when you start breaking it down. But not a novice. It says here, why, though? Lest being lifted up with pride, 
he fall into condemnation of the devil. There's three factors, there's three pitfalls that pastors are tempted to make. And you have to understand that they are out on the front line. So they are receiving the bullets and the darts by the devil more than those behind them. And so the devil is throwing at them moral failure, throwing at them financial failure, and throwing at them mental failure, thinking that they know and are able to be above certain sins, and they're not. They're men just like you and just like me. The Bible goes on to say, in verse number 7, it says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. A few years ago, we had a groundhog problem here. And if you go right over here at this staircase and you look underneath that staircase, there's a gigantic, I mean a gigantic hole that the groundhogs dug up. And so we decided to put out some cages out there. And somebody put pizza in one of the cages. And I don't know why they put pizza in there. And I walked out there one day and there was a skunk in the groundhog cage. And I said to myself, Lord, have mercy. We got to get rid of that skunk. <laughs> and after they killed the skunk, the, the, the scent came into the church for, for a couple weeks. And man, it stunk in here. But I say that to say this, that just as we try to catch animals and we kill them, um, the devil is out there trying to not only catch you, but, but to catch people like myself. You see, if the devil makes a pastor fall by his sin, then it will ripple effect the entire congregation. So that's why it's extremely important that we pay, pray for our pastoral staff, uh, the retired pastors like Brother Riggs, the retired pastors like Brother Andrews and, and like uh, Brother English, and then myself and then uh, Brother Dave as he works among the youth. It's important that we pray for those who are pastors and pray that God would raise up more pastors within our congregation because what we need now more than ever is men who are called by God to preach the word of God. And now I want to share with you, thirdly and finally, from verses 4 and 5. Pastors are not only called to be men of spiritual maturity, and not only be, be, be called of, of men of moral integrity, but also, thirdly and finally, pastors are called to be men who lead their family. Pastors are, be, are called to be men who lead their family. Now, every year, some knucklehead comes to me and says, Well, Brian, I don't go to your church because you're not married and you don't have two kids. I said, That's fine. I'll be glad to take you out to lunch. I'll buy. And I'll explain to you why that logic is wrong. Nobody ever takes me up on that. Uh, but, but imagine, we set this crazy standard in our churches, in our Baptist churches, that the pastor's got to have a master's degree. That the pastor's got to have at least five years of experience as a pastor. He's got to be at least 35 years old. He's got to be married and have at least two kids. Jesus did not have a master's degree. Jesus did not have five years of experience. He only had three. Jesus was not married. Jesus was not 35. He died when he was 33. And Jesus didn't have any children. So Jesus Christ, God in the flesh himself, couldn't pastor most of our Baptist churches. So let's be careful of the man-made standards we set. But nonetheless, here I believe that, that when it's referring to the family, if the pastor has a family, he's married and has children, he is called to lead them. Because if he can't lead them and guide them to Christ, then how can he take care of the church? You know, I love the life of Billy Sunday. I love studying his life. We are told by historians that he led over a million people to Christ in his tent meetings. I read his biography when I was in Bible college, and man, I was ready to charge hell with a little old squirt gun. I was ready. I was ready to go. 
And I read his life, and I was shocked at what I read. Even though he led a million people to the Lord, they say that he wasn't able to reach his family. So here's the important factor. That if the pastor is married, and if the pastor has children, that is his first responsibility. And then the congregation comes after that. One of the things I, I really admired about Jerry Falwell is as busy as Jerry Falwell was, um, when his children had a ball game or a recital, it didn't matter what he was doing or where he was in the world flying in the country, he was back to be there for his kids. Pastors are called to be men who lead their family. Just as the pastor of the local church is going to stand before God and be held accountable for how the body of believers conducted themselves and learned the word of God, the same plays a factor for the man of the household. So men, God is going to hold you, hold you accountable more than your spouse, more than your children, how you led your family to Christ. So in conclusion, this passage, you might be sitting here thinking, well, this has nothing to do with me. First of all, I'm a woman. I'm not even a man. Well, this has everything to do with you because one of these days, the man that you're married to may feel God's calling to become a pastor or maybe a deacon. So it has everything to do. Maybe you're here today, you're a guy, and you're saying, well, what does this have to do with me? I have, I'm never going to be a preacher. Yeah, yeah, don't say that to God because God has a great sense of humor. And if you never say never to him, God will turn that never into an absolute yes. So I wrote down this for all of us. Live a life of moral integrity. Live a life of spiritual maturity. And live a life that leads your family to Christ. Because you never know how God might call you and direct you in your future. In closing, I ask this question. Are you living a life that is above reproach? Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.